Hello there and welcome to the Racing Home podcast brought to you by Women in Racing and Simply Racing with support from the Racing Foundation and Kindred Group. I'm Naomi Meller, an equine vet and podcast producer, and in this podcast we're talking about work and family. It's challenging being a parent, whoever you are and whatever you do, and it's particularly challenging being a parent when you work in horse racing. It's 24-7, 365 days a year. So how can we best help people manage being both great parents and valued members of the racing family? Following the Racing Home Research Project, in this podcast we'll be exploring ideas around parenthood and career progression and how to do things differently. I'll be talking to trainers, jockeys, physiotherapists and a host of the sport's experts and decision makers about their experiences, their stories and how together we can shape a positive future for all families in horse racing. The interview you're going to hear today ranged from serious topics around mental health to gales of laughter as we discussed a potential post-pandemic night out in Dublin. And it was a joy to record as we discussed family life from an LGBT plus perspective. In this chat, I've got with me Leo Powell, who has been editor of the Irish Field for 19 years, prior to which he was director of sales and marketing of Goffs. He kept it pretty quiet, but it turns out he's also the arts and theatre columnist for Irish Country Living as well. Leo has three adult children from an earlier marriage and now has a partner after coming out in his 50s. David Letts started in racing at 16 and since graduating from university has worked in various roles from yards to sponsorship jobs. He holds the Thoroughbred Horse Racing Industries MBA from the University of Liverpool, where he completed his dissertation on sexual orientation, attitudes and prevalence in the racing industry, and is now completing a PhD in the Organisational Culture and Masculinities of British Racing and the impact of that on equality, diversity and inclusion. David sits on the Diversity in Racing Steering Group and he chairs the Racing with Pride Committee. David looked at a lot in his research and he found that the numbers of LGBT plus people in racing were at or above national average, which was a nice surprise, and that on the whole, attitudes towards them were positive. But there were some concerning findings about people's willingness to be open about their sexuality. And one thing David found was that the language used to and about LGBT plus folk may have damaging and sometimes unintended consequences with regard to inclusivity. A really good example of language being deep-rooted into sport occurred in cricket back in 2019, when the then-England captain Joe Root was facing West Indian fast bowler Shannon Gabriel. The stump microphones didn't pick up Gabriel's words, but they did allow the world to hear Joe Root casually saying, There's nothing wrong with being gay. We picked this up in an opening discussion. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's uh, a really good um, sort of snippet of how it can be addressed without being confrontational, without um, causing big drama about it. He simply made a statement saying, look, there's nothing wrong with being gay. Why would you use it? It's an insult. And the effect of that was huge for, for both the, the perpetrator using that language, but also the LGBT community who saw somebody step up as an ally who may not identify as being a part of the LGBT plus community themselves, but, but are willing to, to put their voice forward to support. Yeah. I'm not, I, I, could I just say there that I think it's also very important, uh, Naomi, that, you know, uh, sort of leading figures like that, uh, you know, do, 
do say something and do you know do speak about it. Um, I, I remember reading a number of years ago when uh, a colleague and a friend of mine, Lee Mottershead, wrote in the Racing Post about his um, uh, about being gay, and for me that was a very pivotal moment reading that piece. Um, but you know, I can remember as well the fact that AP McCoy was very supportive of that and spoke about it. You know, and rather than be quiet about it and do it privately, he did it publicly, and I think that's very important because you know, we, you know, you can't underestimate the role of a role model and you know, the influence that they can have because, as you say, they can diffuse a difficult situation. Um, you know, they can also exacerbate a, dif- a difficult situation if they say the wrong thing, and it's you know. So I think that is very important. And, you know, and it's interesting that we're doing this in the aftermath of you know an incredibly brave seventeen-year-old uh, coming out as gay in the football world, which I think is potentially one of the biggest moments in in this. I'm saying that now from an outsider's point of view and speaking from Ireland. Um, But, you know, the the reaction to that is, you know, of the huge acceptance of it. And I think now it's going to be very important in that world that, you know, leading players all come out in full support and that if there's any difficult situations in the future, that they diffuse that by kind of telling people, you know, that they're wrong if they, you know, are making slurs or if there's problems with fans, um, which hopefully there won't be. But if there are, it's very important that those role models in the industry, in the sport, you know, are very quick to stamp it out. Just in case you're listening in the future, this interview was recorded the week after 17-year-old footballer Jake Daniels became the UK's first openly gay professional football player. He has spoken eloquently about wanting to live confidently with freedom and honesty, and how the day after he came out to his family, he scored a four-timer for his club, Blackpool. 17 is young to be a role model on the public stage as a professional sports person. And as Leo quite rightly says, Jake's announcement was widely applauded for its bravery, which brought us to their stories of coming out. Well, for sure. And I, I mean, I suppose in my own situation, without going into sort of too much detail on it, but I mean, I was somebody who came out in my 50s, um, you know, and married and with I have three grown up, uh, three adult children. But, it, you know, it isn't... Um, it wasn't something that uh, was sort of uh, that I looked forward to doing, or it wasn't something that I did easily. And but having said all of that, my experience, and I, you know, I would see myself as working in a very conservative industry, the horse racing industry. Um, uh, you know, it was a you know the the worry would have been the reaction to it, the effect it might have on my career, uh, things like that were definitely huge, huge worries. And, and, you know, the worry was that it wouldn't be accepted and that suddenly all I'd worked for in my life would be would disappear. Um, and I found it to uh, quite the contrary. In fact, you know, people were very understanding. Um, you know, it was a difficult time from a family perspective, of course. Uh, but people were, including my family, were very, very supportive and, you know, very caring and... And, you know, 
I shouldn't have expected anything else from from it, that situation. Um, but, you know, when you're in the, the middle of the forest, you can't see the sky, you can't see the blue skies. And, uh, you know, it's a very dark time. Um, uh, but the reality is it's always better on the other side than you thought it was going to be, that's for sure. Um, and, you know, there's, it, there's the old chestnuts as well is that you know why do people have to come out people don't have to come out and say that they're heterosexual or that they're straight or that they're whatever so i mean that whole argument is still there and you know if it was in my own head this week when jake actually came out and said you know he's gay man you're thinking yes i mean it's important and i understand why but there's the day must come when that's not important when that's not the need to do that in fact um but I think that the world is a much more caring place than we we often think it's going to be. And, you know, for people who are certainly in the closet for use of that, that phraseology, um, you know, it, it's it isn't it is a good world out there. It's just a matter of being yourself, being able to be yourself and and not be afraid. And you you'd be surprised at how, how good the reaction will be to to that situation. Had you thought about coming out for a long time before you did or did did it take a long time to build up to that Leah? No to be honest with you I probably I I I never envisaged that happening probably I couldn't see how it would be beneficial to me I you know uh, again that it comes very much close to the the nerves uh, in terms of where I was in my life and how you know but the effect I was having on family and friends was obviously very difficult because I wasn't the person that I uh, they purported to be I think what was to my advantage at a personal level was that people knew me I think as a reasonably good person a kind person somebody that was that that you know I don't think I have enemies in the in the world as such but you know I equally couldn't be myself which was obviously very difficult and that was all in my head that was you know a mental um, a strain and, and that was a very difficult time uh, from a mental health perspective uh, from a mental health point of view so uh, yeah that was a tough tough time but the, the reaction subsequently uh, was you know incredibly good and surprisingly for me but not in hindsight when I think back to it why should it have been any different um, uh, but as I say I was the one in the in the, in the fire and uh, I, I, at the time I just couldn't see a way out uh, and even people to this day who know me may not even know how difficult that was because I was like the, the clown I could go outside and put on the face and do my work and do certain things um, it certainly was hurt people very close to me, obviously. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, they've been incredibly good as well and very good to me. And, um, yeah, I think, as I say, I'm lucky to have come out the other side too. Well, thank you for being um, so honest about that because I think it's the building up of the walls in order to keep life going must be very difficult. Like you say, you've you've almost got an internal battle that you can never show to the outside because you have got you know really a very prominent job and 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 a, and a, and a big and a team and you are busy and that has all got to be done and i think you know it's 
I can only imagine how difficult that must be, Leo, to be quite honest. Yeah, I suppose, yeah, and I suppose Naomi, the thing about it is that to the vast majority of people, you know, I'm Leo Powell, the editor of the Irish Field newspaper, you know, what the rest of my life is not really of their, in that sense, it's not their concern. If I do my job right as editor of the paper, um, then that's fine, you know what I mean? That should be all they, that's needed. Um, but I suppose after meeting, um, you know, with David, uh, that, you know, I'm probably a little more inspired now to consider trying to do a little bit more for people in the industry who maybe don't feel so confident and comfortable. And whether that's just, you know, the ability, they are offering them the opportunity to come and talk to me privately and have a, you know, or whatever, or starting a racing with pride in Ireland, whatever that might be, I'd like to just help people because, you know, it is a good world and it is a caring world and people are good. And, you know, of course, there's always the bad apple, but that's going to happen in, that's going to happen in the heterosexual world. It's not, a, you know, sometimes, I don't know if you'd agree with me on this one, David, or not, but I mean, sometimes people in the gay community it can feel very put upon and, and they, there's a slight bit of a victim mode sometimes. You know, and I understand that too, but it's not, you know, it isn't as bad as that. Now, we've had some difficult times here in Ireland. In, in recent times, we've had the murder of two um, gay men, which really shook the community. And, you know, and you know, the immediate reaction from some was, oh, you can't go out now. It's not safe to go out. It's not safe to show affection to your partner when you're out or whatever. The reality is that's not, that's also the case for for straight people, for women, for lots of others as well. So we're, we're not unique in that way. And I think, you know, it, we must be part of that wider community in terms of looking at issues and not just think it's particularly an LGBT plus a problem. I don't know if you'd agree with me on that, David, or not. Yeah, to an extent, I think I do. Uh, I think it's important to to not just pigeonhole people as as gay or bisexual or lesbian or trans, but to see the bigger picture. And it's looking at, through an intersectional lens of what characteristics make up that individual. So is it the fact that they're, they're gay, but they're also a woman? They face different barriers to someone who might be gay and a man or cisgender to somebody who's transgender. Um, so it, it's taking that as one factor in that person's makeup. Um, and how that can have an influence, but isn't the sole purpose of that person's being. Um, and I think that's that's a good way to look at it, in, in my view, anyway. And David, do you want to do you mind just saying a little about um, your kind of coming out story? Um, obviously, we've heard Leo's was in his fifties, and listeners will probably realise you're a little bit younger than Leo. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could almost be his grandfather for him. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I didn't necessarily uh, sit anybody down and, and come out to them. And I don't know if that, looking back, I, I don't know whether that was an intentional thing on my part or if it just was easier not to. Um, again, it comes back to, to Leo's comments about the fears of coming out and what is the outcome going to be. So I didn't, perhaps want to confront that directly. So I 
gradually sort of introduced boyfriends to my family as friends initially and then they'd be seen more often and more often and more often and then sort of once they'd built that relationship with the family then probably felt more comfortable saying that they were my boyfriend and not my friend um and it was sort of a natural progression which is lucky in a way um that I was brought up in a fairly traditional family um fairly religious family so there were difficulties around accepting that initially which thankfully now are sort of all in the past and given time um have been able to sort of mend those those issues which which occurred at that time um but yeah i think it it there is still a huge fear for people and i think that's why the racing industry and wider society have got a real responsibility to visibly show their support because unless that's visibly shown people make their own assumptions about the awful things that might happen and the negative reactions they're going to get but if the industry and as i say wider society is explicit in showing you are welcome here as you are for who you are fully as your authentic self people don't have those questions they don't have that mind games playing over and over in their head so i think that to me is is such a huge thing is that visibility of of showing racing support because as my research demonstrated the attitudes are overwhelmingly positive but still there's a there's a discrepancy between those positive attitudes and people's willingness to come out because they're not seeing those positive attitudes visibly within their workplaces within wherever within the sport so i think that's something that the initiatives that we've been working on um with great british racing such as racing is everyone's sport um an activation during key sort of key calendar periods such as pride month and things like that are really valuable and and i wouldn't underestimate the value of of showing that visibility so racing with pride was established in 2020 um and it was actually off the back of the the academic research that was undertaken showing that although these positive attitudes existed more support was needed for um the lgbt plus community within racing and sort of to provide a safe space for for that community to enjoy racing because evidently some people didn't feel able to be their authentic selves within our sport um so this provided a, sa- a safe space where people could come together be true to who they were and enjoy the sport that they love and as well as that sort of working across the sport to to galvanize support and engagement for um showing visibility and for developing education which is something that we thought was really important to give people the tools to engage in the dialogue around this because there's huge fear about saying the wrong thing or um getting something wrong and offending people and actually if we can start with the education piece which is why we started with an e-learning module on on racing to learn we've produced some um some other resources and delivered webinars for the sport if we can work on the education piece first and give people the tools and the knowledge and the confidence to engage then we can all move forward together but if they're not given those foundation steps at the start it's very difficult to sort of all go on that journey together um so that there's some of the things that we've been working on um 
and had really positive response and engagement from across the sport again showing that the willingness is there to engage and perhaps people just weren't sure of how to go about engaging so having that support from us um, and advice from us about what steps to take in order to do so um, has really been um, has been a, a big step for the sport and and for the people within it uh, sort of had feedback saying I never thought that I'd see a rainbow flag hoisted above a grandstand on a race course and lo and behold we have a rainbow flag hoisted above a grandstand on a race course um, we've designed our own sort of race with pride racing silks which are available for lease for owners to use and again it's just another visibility initiative to to show that support that the, the industry as a whole has got for for the lgbt plus community within it and and externally you touched on kind of societal attitudes there and you know you mentioned you're from quite a conservative family leo i think we would obviously have seen ireland as a very traditional catholic society for a a very long time and still is to a degree but you know I was mentioning just before we started recording that you've had an openly gay prime minister and um and subsequently there has been a changing of the law around gay marriage yeah I think that was uh, I, I think that was very very important um, and I think it was a ple- you know I, I'm not involved in the political side of the, the LGBT community in Ireland in any shape or form but uh, I think the big surprise then was the fact that there was such um, uh, a welcome for gay marriage, um, you know, because I suppose one of the things it did was it obviously had put it out there. Maybe people had to confront it and talk about it because it was an issue and they were going to. But I think an awful lot of people found that, you know, they're, you know, in family situations, it was the grannies and granddads who were hugely supportive and out to vote for it. You know, uh, you know, and yes, it has been a conservative uh, society in Ireland. It's been, you know, a, a, a religious led society back in, in, in time as well. But, you know, it is much more secular now for sure. And it's a very, ch- it's a, it's a changing society. Um, and uh, I think that uh, that was a, a very, very important moment. Um, and, uh, you know, it's obviously not everybody agreed with it. Um, and I have friends who would have voted against it. I, and not because they didn't want me to be happy or people like me to be happy, but it was just something that for whatever reason they had a, a principled objection to where they married, you know, the old thing of marriage was between a man and a woman, the religious aspect of it. And, you know, I think the important thing in that is that we respect their their view, their right to have a view. I can disagree with it and I can think that it's 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 wrong and it's impract you know practically it should be different but we have it now and i think that's very important and i think that what happens in society generally is the majority of people are silent you know and uh, you know sometimes the people who make the biggest noise are just you know uh, are, are people that really sh- would be best ignored but the fact is they make the noise whereas you know i wish more people in the silent majority spoke out sometimes uh, it's you know it seems to be easier for them to just put your head down, say nothing, and hope it will go away. 
But actually, it's funny, isn't it, that the people with the loudest voices are often at the polar ends of the spectrum, whatever you're talking about. I often find that a shame that the people who are in the kind of moderate middle ground, in inverted commas, on on any topic, really, as you say, are often the silent ones, but often are just quietly supportive of people or even dare I say it, not really that bothered. And I think that's the other thing is that there's a lot of people who just are getting on with their own life and are not really worried about other people just getting on with their own lives, you know, because actually everyone's just getting their heads down, doing their job, paying their bills, raising their families, and they're living in their own little bubble. And actually they're quite happy for everyone else to be in their own little bubbles. And actually, I think a lot of people probably would just say, Live and let live. Do your thing. Enjoy your life. Be happy. Yeah, but I, I, also, but there is also the fear, and especially in on social media as well. There is no real voice at times for the the the, the somebody with the constructive view because it's just out there to be ridiculed. You know what I mean? And people end up being afraid to actually express these views. You know, and then if you're if you have a moderate view or if you try to be a, a diplomat about it, you're sitting on the fence and it's ah. Oh, you know, like at the end, it, it just becomes easier for somebody to say nothing at all. <laughs> There's a phrase often, apparently incorrectly, attributed to the philosopher Edmund Burke, which says that the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Saying nothing is sometimes easier, particularly on social media, where, as Leo says, sticking your head above the parapet can be an exhausting affair. But for many of us, there comes a time when you do have to speak up. And as Leo also mentioned, the power of role models out there speaking up cannot be overstated. So if you can say something good, then do. It's fair to say that this podcast is mostly about families and parenting. And it's probably also fair to say that parenting in the LGBT plus community takes a little more thought than for most heterosexual couples. David doesn't have any children currently, and as he alluded to previously, Leo had his family before he came out, so his kids are now adults. But in general, what are the options for same-sex parents or those wanting to go it alone? There's adoption, surrogacy, IVF and more, and there are differences between the UK and the rest of the world. David gave us a little summary. So obviously, as you've, you've, you've sort of touched on, there are several options for uh, non-heterosexual couples or, or single parents um, to to go about that. Um, and I think the thing with all of those options is that in general, they take more time and investment than perhaps heterosexual couples might need to invest. It's in consideration for employers about that, that there'll be more planning required in most instances for a non-heterosexual parenting structure. Um, so as you, you've sort of touched on, we've got adoption, which was made available to gay couples in 2002. Since then, the, the number of adoptions to same-sex parents has increased year on year. So same-sex parents are now accounting for one in six of every adoption in the UK. So it's not an unusual thing. Um, it's becoming more and more common, which is which is fantastic that that one these children are, are finding loving homes, and, and and secondly that gay communities are feeling uh, more confident to engage with the system of adoption and feeling that actually 
they won't face the discrimination which had previously prevented a lot of couples from or single parents from engaging with the, the process of adoption. So I think that's a really positive trend in the right direction. Um, and also, obviously, you've got uh, you've got fostering, which, again, s- similar lines that has seen an increase in um, gay couples fostering children in terms of biological parenthood. Then you've got uh, surrogacy and, and IVF. And again, LGBT couples face additional challenges here um, or the, my understanding of the NHS procedures is that straight couples need to be able to demonstrate that they have been actively trying to conceive for a period of time I think it might be two years whereas that position isn't always available to same-sex couples so in that instance they need to undertake funded IVF in order to demonstrate issues with fertility which then will allow the NHS to fund additional fertility work. So there's that initial financial outlay that LGBT parents need to consider which which straight people may not need to. So there are barriers in terms of sort of in planning, investment, financial as well as coming back to again societal fears about how might this be viewed um what might my children's experiences be like um so yeah a lot of different factors to really really consider yeah having had uh, friends both straight and gay go through ivf it's uh can be a extremely expensive and be very emotionally and physically tough i think and when you have the additional challenges that you're talking about there of not being able to demonstrate to the NHS that you've been trying for a family unsuccessfully in order to qualify for the healthcare that other people would receive quite readily is even more difficult. And having supported a few friends through it, it seems to be an extremely difficult time at the best of times, let alone when you've got additional challenges in front of you as well. And one thing I was um, I was discussing with another gay friend recently, um, he's married and they're in their sort of late 30s and thinking about children. And then we were discussing about surrogacy. And I admit that I was a bit naive around the uh, surrogacy I was going to use the word market, but I'm not sure that's entirely correct. But let's say that for the time being, that in the States, surrogacy is commercial and the amount of money changing hands is huge. Uh, and and the, the amount that surrogates ask for can be tens of thousands of dollars, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars, which to me is, I was wowed by that. Whereas over here, it's illegal to pay a surrogate for, for surrogacy, isn't it? And so that, I guess, leads to a whole other question around who do you trust who do you ask how do you find a surrogate you know there's a lot of complications around that as well exactly yeah so as you say it's uh it's illegal to to pay for a surrogate in the uk and it's also illegal to advertise for a surrogate in the uk so you're already facing uh significant barriers in in finding somebody because you can't advertise that you'd like one um and as you say if you can't find one here your option is then to look abroad. And again, it comes back to that financial investment of, of paying tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of pounds for a surrogate in the, in the USA or Canada um, or anywhere else in the world. Um, so that's one issue. If you are fortunate enough to find a surrogate here, um, as, it, as you 
you pointed out, it comes back to who do you trust? Because with surrogacy, that once the baby's born, you have to um, seek a parental order to change the legal parenthood of that child. So at the point of that baby being born, the mother, the biological mother is the legal parent. And then you have to seek a parental order to change that legal parenthood to the intended parents um, who have gone forward with the surrogacy. So you can potentially go through the surrogacy and that individual then decides not to go ahead with the parental order. So then you've got all of the, the associated legal fees of ensuring that that is complied with um, when you get to that point and, and lots of other sort of complexities around that. So um, as I say, it comes back to a really a, a need for employers to understand some of these different dynamics that LGBT plus people looking into parenting options might face and how those might be uh, might be accommodated in the workplace. If you're interested in hearing more on this, there's an amazing podcast on BBC Sounds called Pride and Joy, which I've linked to in the show notes, which tells the stories of families beyond the nuclear family, from a trans man who became an egg donor, to a gay couple searching for a surrogate, to a grandmother giving birth to her granddaughter. These are joyful stories filled with love about people doing things a little bit differently to the status quo, and it is well worth a listen. Back to Leo for now. It actually, on um, the 22nd of May, it would be seven years since our referendum uh, on same-sex marriage in Ireland. It seems like it was yesterday again, but it's seven years on now. And, um, you know, as a result of that as well, and the Marriage Act, uh, I mean, same-sex couples have the right to adopt, to foster in Ireland or whatever. I, I can't speak for the surrogacy world because, uh, to my knowledge, it's, a, it's unregulated in Ireland. Um, so, again, it would be a case of different stories, different, everybody's situation being different. Um, but certainly, um, it's something that I, I, I think I'd, I'd look into a little bit more just from an information point of view because, you know, I do know of, of uh, same-sex couples who have had... Uh, children and you know it'd be nice to sort of learn about their their journey as well as just to have celebrating the fact that they have family now mm. and there are some wonderful stories out there but I think when David and I were discussing this podcast episode it's very hard to think of anybody in professional sport that is in that position certainly surrogacy and adoption you know, it's not at all sort of seen in the sporting world, even outside of racing in the wider sporting world, you know, you just don't really see that. And I do think one of the things we've been discussing a lot in this series is about employers' attitudes and workplace attitudes to family. And, you know, whether that's single parenting, somebody going through a divorce, or somebody who's ill and dealing with parenting while you're at work, all of those things they all tie into how we think about treating people. And actually, I think that's the thing that we're driving at a lot with the racing homework is trying to think about families in a more inclusive fashion and not just dad is at work, mum's going to pick the kids up from nursery, whatever it is, you know. Sure, yeah. And I think it, I mean, that's that's a big sea change in the in, in 
the world generally, I suppose, as well, because, you know, I mean, people of, of uh, um, David's age group and, and young people coming through, I mean, they're the next generation and they're the people who are going to probably want this a lot more. Uh, so it, it's something that's going to happen more and more. And I suppose ultimately it's, you know, it's like anything. The government are, can legalize, uh, can make laws that say you do this, that and the other. It's the implementation of them in the workplace that's going to be hugely important. Um, and, you know, companies can work with you and work against you. Um, and it just that's an attitude. But I think that's changing. I, you know, uh, I'm very lucky to work for a, 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 a good uh, company who I think are, you know, sort of embrace the changes in the world, generally speaking. And gosh, we've been struck with so many changes forced upon us in recent years. Um, so I think that it's a very different uh, world now. And I think um, it will be reflected in due course. I think there's going to be more demand for, as you say, surrogacy for adoption for same-sex couples than there's ever been because now it can happen whereas seven years ago ten years ago it couldn't happen it was you know or it was very very difficult before we go a word on language we touched on this a little earlier and it's often cited as an area in which people feel really nervous about getting it wrong and causing offense i get that David and Leo and other people in the LGBT plus community get that. What I realised from our discussions is that the key thing is not to make assumptions, as David explains. I mean, so on language, perhaps just a couple of sentences on a heteronormativity of the environment and assumptions, because I think that it's not homophobic, but we're still sort of rooted in some of the traditional language that we use and traditional assumptions for me it's really important to try and consider the language that you use and allow the individual to give what they want to give if they don't want to disclose that that's absolutely fine we're not sort of forcing anybody to to be be outed but to give them the opportunity to do that so if you say who have you brought with you they can say my friend or they can say my partner but it's sort of the making the assumption of two men together must be friends or if I take a a female friend it's is this your girlfriend so it's just sort of turning that around slightly and it's a small change but the impact on an individual is is huge because as I say it comes back to sort of when you asked about coming out um, and an individual doesn't come out once they come out in every social interaction that they engage with um, sort of Am I going to correct you and and say, actually, this is my boyfriend, this is my partner, or am I just going to leave it this time? So there's that continuous sort of cycle of considering, is it worth my energy, I suppose, um, to have this conversation or do we just let it slide um, and move on? And with the best will in the world, sometimes you do just let it slide and move on because it, it's easier and for your own sake as well as sort of the individual involved and creating a a bit of drama or something. Um, <laughs> Leo's doing a lot of nodding along there as well. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, 
yeah, it's a difficult one. I suppose maybe, I, you know, again, it's I'm down to my own personal experiences. It's probably something that I probably haven't given as much thought to, but uh, I completely understand what David is saying. And, um, and yeah, it is, I mean, it's always very much easier if you say, this is my husband, this is my wife. That's definitive. That's, you know, uh, after that, it's, you know, how long is a piece of string and what the end of the, the rope you're on, you know, friends, in inverted commas, friends. I mean, it's a whole language thing. And, uh, you know, it's my other half. It's, my, you know, there's so many of these things. And I, I suppose maybe I, I, I haven't been so caught up in that myself. Um, but yeah, no, I think that they're, they're, you know, again, that's down to making assumptions and people make assumptions about same-sex um, situations than they do maybe about a heterosexual situation. It, there's always these little things. And I, I think as well, there's the subtleties in it. Sometimes it can be, you know, what might be offensive in one situation wouldn't be in another then, do you know what I mean? But I think that generally speaking, um, I, I, you know, I've certainly seen now that I mean, people are always very happy to invite you um, uh, with a partner um, to events. Uh, and, you know, I mean, I've been, in, been able to bring partners to some things that I kind of probably never imagined that that would ever have happened in the past. Um, and I, I suppose maybe in terms of ending it kind of on a, uh, you know, very much on, a, on an upbeat note or whatever. I think, you know, I think the world is ready to embrace um, uh, people from the LGBT plus community much more readily now and I think I think the most important thing is probably to encourage people to be themselves to live their lives as they are and not to be afraid and um, there are huge supports available uh, and you know honestly um, you know 90% of what you worry about never happens and if you take that on board I think that um, you know it, 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 I think the world will be a better place people will be in a much happier place and uh, uh, yeah I think uh, you know the, the, the rainbow is shining brightly out there so go, go and follow it <laughs> and I was talking to the students in the Irish National Stud last night and I was just talking to them about well, I was giving them a lecture about pedigrees, but then I was talking about mental health and that. And I just sort of said to them, you know, guys, look at life this way. You know, grasp every day. You know, go and live your life. Be yourself. Be your true self. But just realise that your life is going to be something like 15,000 days or more. You know what I mean? So, like, get out there and every one of them grasp it. Because I swear to God, those 16,500 of my days went by in a flash. I don't know where they've gone, you know what I mean? And now I'm counting down the days as such. But I'll tell you what, I, and now I'm grasping every day, I can assure you, <laughs> because, you know, and it's wonderful. And, you know, listen, I've been through the dark days. I've been to the edge, uh, you know, so I know what it's like now to really want to live your life. I'm sure your children and your family are very proud of you and everything that you've done. <sighs> 
Well, they are, but I suppose like anything, they, they, they don't tell me that. <laughs> you know, right? And if I don't ring them, they don't ring me. But I mean, I know they love me, but uh, I mean, it's a typical father. It's, I, listen, I'm no different to any other family. The fact that I'm gay is just, you know, the boys, yeah, first thing they tell their girlfriends, you know, by the way, I have a gay dad. You know, and they all love them. They all love a gay dad. <laughs> okay. I mean, that's the wonderful thing, you know, to be. But anyway, look, life is good. That's it for today. Thanks for listening and don't forget to follow the podcast to receive all new episodes as they land. It would really help us if you could rate the podcast and leave a review telling us what you'd like to hear about. This is a resource for you and everyone in the industry and we'd love to hear from you. We'll be back in a couple of weeks, so see you then. I'm also waiting for Leo's TED Talk, which I feel could be coming in the next couple of years. <laughs> I'm getting braver as I get older, you know, to be, you know. Um... Aren't we all? Aren't we all? <laughs> there you go.